this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, can you believe we're on suit up number six already? I don't know. It feels like it's been a long series, but also a really, really good one. I think we've all learned a lot. Let me just remind you before we jump in today that we are having a Q&A, not next week, but the week after. Okay, so if you have questions about any of the stuff that we've covered, spiritual world, the supernatural realm, all of that stuff, deliverance, uh, you can go to the sermon notes, epi.church slash sermon notes, or there's a bucket in the back of the sanctuary you can scribble out. Don't scribble because I need to read it, but <laughs> write out a question. Remember though, if you want an answer, whether we cover it or not, uh, there, we have a lot of questions submitted so far. I don't know that we're going to get to all of them <laughs> at the Q&A. So if you want an answer, regardless of whether we're able to cover it, I would be happy to send you one, to connect you with the right answers, put your name on it. It can absolutely be anonymous, but if you want an answer, put your name and email address or phone number on it, and I will get you an answer. So thank you. We, we, we do have a ton of great questions. Thank you so much for submitting those already. All right. Are you ready to continue working through Ephesians 6? Let's do it. We're going to start reading today in verse 13. I just want to cover these. I know we've read it a lot, but we're going to read it again, all right? Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith. We talked about last week, right? The shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Salvation as your helmet today. That's what we're covering. We have one more next week. The sword of the spirit. Now, again, just like every week that I have said this so far, to fully understand what Paul was talking about, the, the metaphor that he was trying to create here, we have to understand what he was looking at, right? He was sitting in a Roman prison as he was writing this letter, looking at Roman guards, and he was making a comparison between that and our helmets spiritually, yeah? The helmet of salvation. So this is something, obviously, it covers the head. A helmet anticipates contact, right? A helmet is not only necessarily, it's only necessary because of the activity one engages in. It has the potential to harm a part of you that controls the rest of you, right? It's a necessary piece of any suit of armor. If the head doesn't work, your hands don't work. If your head doesn't work, your feet don't work. So what did the Roman helmets look like. I tend to think of Roman armor as sort of flashy. I don't know if it's movies have convinced us of this or what, but I tend to think, you know, the red like plume, the feathers or like horse's hair. That's like, I, that's how I think of Roman armor. When I was researching this this week, it actually doesn't have that. It, it didn't have that in Jesus's time. 
the, the red horse's hair thing that came later in history um, and was really only reserved for officers, probably wouldn't have been prison guards, right? But in fact, they rarely find those today um, as artifacts. But the ones that Paul would have probably been looking at looked sort of like this. I'm going to ask my son in his little batting helmet, look how cute he is, to come join me. Because honestly, this is what it looked like. Stand up there and let everybody see. He's a good little helper, isn't he? Yes. Now, I had him wear it backwards because, yeah, maybe turn to the side and let them see. What these helmets actually looked like was they had a brim just like this, a short brim, but on the back to protect the neck, right? They had sort of a little ball on top. I don't know what the purpose of that was. I could not find that in my research. And they had flaps on the side, which are rarely found in artifacts today of these helmets because they were most likely leather. Flaps for leather. He's like, what are the flaps about? They were leather on the side, and they protected the neck as well. They often, when they find these helmets, they find like a, a piece to connect here, but not the actual, that's why we think it was probably leather. So they looked a little bit like this. Do you feel protected? This is a, a baseball helmet. When you're wearing this in baseball, do you feel like your head is protected from the balls coming at you? Kind of, but you still have to dodge them, he said. <laughs> He's right. Because even hit by the, and they, they were metal. Roman armor was metal of some kind. If you get hit with an arrow, on a, it's still going to hurt, right? It's going to rock your brains a little bit. Um, it, it, it just is. These helmets were very utilitarian. They were um, pretty cheaply made, according to my research, and they made a lot of them because at the time, Rome was expanding. They were trying to get as many soldiers out there as possible, and so they, they gave him helmets somewhat like this. Probably not as comfortable, right? This one's kind of, it has cushy, cushy stuff on the inside. Yeah. All right. Thank you, crew. Can we give crew a hand being our model today? <laughs> you can go back to class now. He did awesome. So there wasn't much fancy or showy about these helmets. I think that's actually a little bit important. They were for protection. They are sometimes still today found with an inscription on the inside of them, initials or a name, something like that. Uh, they were personalized to some degree and expected to last the soldier's lifetime, which I also think is sort of important to the metaphor here. A helmet is only necessary because some things will hit you so hard, it'll mess your mind up, right? It's, this is true metaphorically as well, isn't it? Some things will hit you so hard, messes your mind up. Your mind gets twisted and confused. It doesn't understand even simple concepts anymore. Some things can cause spiritual and emotional brain damage. There are storms, crises that, that pop up in our lives. We have health issues, relationship issues, a death in the family. Some things can hit you hard and they mess up your mind. A helmet is meant to protect your mind. How many of you know your mind needs protected? They get messy, don't they? I don't know about you, but my mine does. Anyway, it gets messed up from time to time. These arrows that we talked about last week, those fiery arrows that are shot at us from the enemy, 
And he aims for your head sometimes too. Right? And I can imagine that an, an arrow shot at a helmet like crew was wearing. Even though blocked, it would still knock me back a bit. So what Paul says will protect our minds, protect our heads, is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. The amazing thing here, though, too, is that Paul was writing to believers. He was writing to believers. <laughs> um, so a, a lot of the Bible, actually, most of the New Testament, not all, but most, is written to believers. So why would Paul write to believers who are already saved and say, put on your helmet of salvation? Doesn't that feel a little bit redundant? A little repetitive? What Paul is trying to say here is that even though you've already been saved by Jesus physically on the cross, you're still not thinking like you're saved. (laughs) Your thinking is still messed up. You're still thinking like the world. And that kind of thinking is incompatible with a life of walking with Jesus. Can't have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. (laughs) A little bit of tarot cards and crystals. We've been talking about the series. A little bit of sexual immorality. A little bit of stealing. A little bit of, of Eastern meditation. And Jesus on top of it. It doesn't work like that. My, my husband calls it buffet Christianity. Take a little of this and a little of that. Right? You can't have it your way and pick a little of this and a little of that. It, it's all or nothing with Christianity. It's either you believe or you don't. Now, Jesus leads and guides and he sanctifies, right? Don't get me wrong. This is a process of walking with Jesus. He he helps us and guides us. He reveals things to us as we go. But you can't choose to have it all and stay where you are. (laughs) But Jesus also redeems. And I think this is an important part of his character that we sometimes forget. It's an aspect of the personality of God that I think some Christians need to explore a bit more. He is a redeemer. Jesus redeems. Redeeming God, which means he can gain or regain possession of something. He's good at regaining possession of something. We gave our lives over to evil at some point, right? Each and every one of us have chosen sin. We were born into it, but We've chosen sin or we are choosing sin somewhere. We're giving possession to something else to some degree. And a piece of you is owned by that sin. Sin likes to take ownership. And it starts with just a little. It takes more and it takes more and it takes more, right? It's owned by the enemy. So we're giving the enemy possession of a piece of us. Anybody like the sound of that? No, it doesn't, it doesn't sound great. It sounds scary. Unless you've given it all to Jesus already, of course, and we call that complete and total submission. It sometimes takes a lifetime to learn how to fully submit to Jesus. All right? But a lot of us Christians are walking around with a piece of ourselves still owned, possessed by the enemy. I don't like that thought, particularly. Right? But Christians can also be good at redeeming because Jesus was good at redeeming. We can take things back from the enemy. No, I actually think this is starting, this is just a theory of mine, but I actually think it's starting to happen with Halloween a little bit. I, <laughs> just go with me on this. I, I know some Christians, we get very upset about 
Halloween. We, we also get upset about Christmas and Easter. Have you ever heard Christians complain that it, they used to be pagan holidays and how do we celebrate them at all because of their roots in the occult and blah, 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 right? Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. We just celebrated there because Christians took it over from pagan holidays at some point in the Middle Ages. Well, yeah, you know what? I'm all about that. We redeem things from the hands of the enemy. Christians at some point took that holiday back. We used it to celebrate Jesus. Heck yeah, I'm all about that, right? Because God is a redeeming God. At some point, we took what was in the hands of the enemy, and now all over the world, it's used to celebrate Jesus. I'm okay with that. But sure, maybe pagans still celebrate it, you know, somewhere else, some as something else. But overwhelmingly, we have redeemed that date across the world. I, you know what? I'm coming for Santa too, by the way. I'm redeeming Santa. <laughs> he was a good guy, St. Nick. Have you ever researched Nicholas? That's what I teach my kids about it when Christmas comes. Like, he loved Jesus and he loved people. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra in the fourth century, if you want to read about this, he was a guy who inherited a large sum of money. He was a priest, pastor, bishop, I think. Uh, and instead of using his fortune to benefit himself, he gave it away anonymously in stockings. That's how we get the, the legends, right? He helped the poor. He gave freely to meet the needs of people around him, fulfilling the commands of Christ to aid the poor. He gave because Jesus gave. We give because Jesus gave. That's what my kids know about Santa. Taking him back, right? I think we're doing this slowly with Halloween, back to my point. It's, is it still largely used to celebrate evil? Yeah, probably. There's still a lot of pagan worship and crap out there. But I just read an article the other day about how trunk-or-treats are killing trick-or-treats in communities across the country, and it's largely because of churches throwing these, which I'm not trying to kill trick-or-treat necessarily, but it's cool that church is using it to spread the gospel. I think that's, it's powerful. I we're using it to spread the gospel. I'm all right with that. In fact, can I just go into Halloween just a little bit? I know this is a touchy subject, um, and we have Christians that are on both sides. Totally okay with it. Nothing wrong. Then we have Christians that are very nothing. We don't celebrate anything about Halloween. Here again, as with most things, we're in separate and opposite camps. Nothing can be celebrated or it's all celebrated, right? I don't, I just don't think it has to be all or nothing. The helmet of salvation is about our minds, right? We have a God-given mind that can be used to analyze whether something is an activity that's against the Bible or isn't. I can choose a piece of cultural holiday that can be redeemed and used for the gospel, and I can discern which cannot, right? As for me and my house, when my entire community is out, I want to be sitting on my porch, smiling and loving kids and canning all the candy and church invitations I can stuff in their buckets. That's, that's a way that we redeem. The, like, I'm going to compliment their outfits and invite them to church and make connections with my neighbors. That's a part, I think, that I can redeem. Are my kids going to wear scary stuff and celebrate evil and the villains? No. Right, we're going to pick good characters, good wins over evil. That is the gospel message, right? And I can pull it all back to that. But it, again, is dressing as a good character inherently evil? No. 
So I can use my mind, my helmet of salvation, to choose where I draw the line. What can be redeemed? God is a redeeming God. Do we get it wrong sometimes as Christians? Probably. But it comes back to discernment, right? I don't have to hide in my house and shut the doors when there's evil out and about either because I've got my helmet of salvation on, right? Jesus and I have done too much work to get me free of fear for me to go back to it. I'm not doing it. I can actually enter a whole room full of demons and evil if I want and come out unscathed if I have my armor on correctly. Not saying they have no power, remember, just that I have nothing to fear from them. In fact, if anyone's coming out scathed, it's going to be them. <clears throat> they might be a little scathed by the time I'm done because I'm a threat to them. Not, they're not to me. Right? They should be the scared ones. Halloween should have something to fear from me, not the other way around. We're going to make a dent in that darn dark, dark holiday. We're going to redeem it, take it back, regain and repossess it. I'm going to use the enemy's darkness party as a way to throw out some light. If I can recruit even one of my neighbors to come to church and get saved, the effort will have been worth it. If the witches next door can recruit, so can I. And I bet I can do it better, by the way. Just saying. Can you feel a little of that holy rebellion? This is what we should have. The suit up thing is putting on our armor. We are soldiers. We're not victims. I just feel this. I actually really wanted to call a series Holy Rebellion or Rebellious. I forget what it was at one point. Because there's this holy rebellion that has to rise up within us if we want to be demon slayers. Right, Josh? I'm not, <laughs> not saying participate wholly. I'm not condoning condoning Halloween, you know, have witches all over your house and scary things and, and to celebrate Halloween. And if you have some history with the occult, you're trying to stay far away for now. I totally get it. I'm not saying participate wholeheartedly. I'm saying redeem. My family uses the opportunity not to celebrate Halloween, but to celebrate Jesus. Because I try to use every opportunity <laughs> to celebrate Jesus. There's a difference. We have ulterior motives when we, when we go out. <clears throat> not saying to march into a seance, you know what I mean? Go to a Ouija board party. <laughs> I'm saying use wisdom, discern the difference, redeem when you can. we got to think like we're saved. What Paul's trying to tell us here. You're only transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sometimes the problem is not that you don't have a good heart, it's that you don't have a good head. That we don't have our thinking right yet. Just because my morals have changed doesn't mean my mind did. My thinking has to be renewed. I see so many Christians still thinking like we have to live in fear. We have to hide under our covers at night and protect ourselves. You don't have to live like that anymore. God can change your perspective. He can turn all things into good for you because he is a redeemer. That's what he does. We have to remind ourselves daily that we are saved. We are righteous, that Jesus already paid the price. In fact, it's a big part of the helmet of salvation. The churchy term for it is actually assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. As a general theological term, it means believers' confidence in God, God's response to prayer, and the hope of eternal salvation. It means we know that we know that we know that we are saved, that God loves us so much, right? 
Assurance of, of salvation is actually such a weapon in spiritual warfare. It's how you take authority in the spiritual realm. If you don't know Jesus is at your back, how are you going to take authority in his name? It's how I can walk into any situation and know that I can overcome any evil present, not because of what's in me, because of the Jesus in me. We walk on his authority. He has saved us, and there is no doubt there. No wondering whether Jesus really loves me or not really lived and walked on the earth. It's knowing who you are on Jesus. The, the assurance of salvation is our impenetrable defense against anything the enemy can throw at us. Jesus said, Matthew 10, 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The idea is in this verse is, as we prepare for Satan's attacks, we must grab the helmet, buckle it on tightly. His salvation is not limited to a one-time act of the past or even a future hope. It is something we walk in. It's both. It's something Jesus did in the past. It's something that is coming in the future and something that we walk in. God's salvation is an ongoing, eternal state that his children enjoy in the present. It is daily protection and deliverance from our sin nature and Satan's schemes. It's all of it. Because of the power of the cross, our enemy no longer has any hold on us. Romans 6.10 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Sin has power, but it loses its power when it comes into contact with Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 8, 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. If sin is something you still struggle with, you need to know these verses by heart. And who of us doesn't still struggle sometimes? We need to know these verses. Write them on our mirrors, on our work screens, in our kitchens, Wherever you will see them daily, this is part of putting on the helmet of salvation. You need to know what the Word says about it. Because Satan knows what the Word says about sin, too. He also knows most of God's children don't know it. They don't know these verses. Or at least they don't live as if they know. All right, we must learn to keep our helmets on and buckled tightly so that his fiery missiles do not lodge in our thoughts and set us on fire. Through this helmet of salvation, we can destroy every, how does 2 Corinthians 10 put it? Destroy every obstacle. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ to teach our minds how to think godly thoughts. It doesn't come naturally, right? We capture rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. I know a lot of Christians who say, my head is just got intrusive thoughts. I, I'm on the loops in my head. There's so much worry and fear. How do I stop it? Well, sometimes it's a matter of deliverance and walking through that, but sometimes it, you just have to capture the thought. Stop it. You are in control, right? Literally picture yourself locking it in a cage and throwing away the key. Capture the thoughts 
Teach them to obey Christ. Fill your mind with godly things. These verses to help you, right? Your thoughts don't have to control you. You can teach your thoughts to obey Christ. Capture the rebellious ones. Stop them. Lock them up and instruct yourself to obey Christ. There's a number of ways that we can do this, okay? And I have a list for you. The first way is we have to renew our minds. This is how the Bible puts it. Renew our minds. What does that mean? Look, our minds are battlefields. The outcomes of those battles determine the course of our lives. Right? Romans 12, 1 through 2, it instructs us to renew our minds by allowing the truth of God's word to wipe out anything contrary to it. It says, and so, brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Oh, just hang on there for a second, because give our bodies. So far, this isn't about our mind, but our bodies. Like we, So much parenting has come out of this series. And I just want to mention, we tell our kids this, because at 11 and 8 years old, they have already been pressured to be homosexual. 11, right? Which is absolutely ridiculous anyway, because there's no pressure to be in a heterosexual relationship yet. Just a homosexual one. The agenda of the enemy to objectify and sexualize our kids is very real. Very real. Not necessarily new. We want to say that it's new. Maybe in our culture for this time, in our lifetimes, it's new. But it's not new. <laughs> I can remember third grade sexual concepts being talked about, and I'm like, what is that? Third grade, right? It's the earliest I can remember it. It's nothing new in this sense. But yeah, we tell our kids these verses. We give our bodies to Jesus. He gets to tell us what we do with them. Just because you feel an attraction doesn't mean you act on it. In fact, you can instruct your body. We give our bodies to God as sacrifices. Right? We follow Jesus. We don't get caught up in all that. We follow Jesus. We give our bodies to God as sacrifices because of all he has done for us. The world is screaming at us right now that if your body tells you it wants something, it's fine. You should act on it. Do it. And everyone else needs to accept it. Followers of Jesus, we wage war in our minds. We tell our bodies what to do, not the other way around. We die to our flesh like Jesus and find life in Jesus. You can be in control. I know too many parents who aren't having this conversation. We're having a very condemning and guilt-ridden conversation, which is bad in an opposite way. There's no guilt or shaming in our house, and there's definitely no, what would God think about that? right? It's just, listen, it's not who we are. We follow Jesus. We're not judging others. We're not holding them to our standards. If they're not a believer, I'm not holding them to my standard. Why would I do that? I'm not judging or belittling. Jesus didn't do that. He, he gave honor to human beings, right? Didn't see anyone as less than. We're, but we are in charge of our own bodies. And sin is something to be struggled against, not given into. Right? We struggle against our fleshly desires, giving our bodies as sacrifices to God. And I believe God will meet us there when we're obedient and 
He gives us the desires of our heart, but he meets those desires in a godly way that will be beneficial to me long term. Right? The argument right now is, well, I was born this way. I was born this way. How could it be bad if I was born this way? Didn't God create me in the womb? Yes, he did, but we were also born into sin. Born into sin. Evil passed down through all the generations since Eve, and sin corrupts. Everyone is born with some proclivities, some tendencies towards certain sin. It is my theory. It's actually a verse found in Proverbs, I think, that all sin come from three different sort of base sins, pride, lust, and greed. Everything comes from those, right? Everyone tends to struggle with one of those more than the others, is my theory. But we, I mean, we struggle with all of them. But we also have generational curses in our lives that pass down through sin. Not our own. It doesn't seem fair, but that's the world we live in, right? You all seem, just based on the questions submitted, you all seem to be craving more Aaron stories. <clears throat> so let me tell you one of one that relates to this. Before we were married, I think maybe, or just after, um, we were on a long night drive to his parents' house who lived far away in Delaware at the time. And Aaron was driving, and he suddenly, he swerved hard, slammed on his brakes, in the road and I was like what was that for you know he was like you didn't see that no (laughs) what he said he saw this black creature some sort of animal uh but not a real animal he described it as almost a lion body with a gorilla head okay gross I I mean it looked gross yes I imagine that looked gross uh Lion body, gorilla head, which was another Q&A question so far. What do demons look like to those who can see them? Sometimes they look like a lion body with a gorilla head. I don't, not saying they all do, but sometimes. Okay, so he saw this thing, this black thing, run out in front of the car in the road in front of us, but it vanished when we got to it. Wasn't the first time he saw something like that. And But because I didn't see it, and I was in the car looking at the road too, he started to wonder if it was spiritual, and he began to pray about it. God, what is going on here, right? And he felt like God revealed to him that it was a spirit of alcoholism stalking him. It wasn't the first time he saw it. It was following him. It was looking for an in in his life. One little slip, and it would happen, Right? Something passed down in his life, a generational curse probably. It had a right to be there because of what had gone on in previous generations in his family. It was stalking him based on his family history, but because Aaron hadn't given it a foothold in his life, seeing how it had affected some of his other family members, right? He chose not to drink growing up, and he's always been faithful Jesus follower. <laughs> It's all or nothing with Aaron. <laughs> Something I respect and love about him so much. But he doesn't compromise his morals ever for any reason. It's not like he wasn't around alcohol growing up, right? He just chose not to give it a foothold. He said, I'm going to be stronger than it. And he gave his life to I mean, he's always been a Jesus follower. But this thing was still following him, not to miss an opportunity, Right? I actually think it was maybe a gift from heaven that he was able to see it. Because it gave, probably gave him a little bit more of a fire even to stay far away. Right? 
I don't think it follows, follows him anymore, by the way. You don't think it does? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I think I think he's successfully prayed it away. I think he, he convinced that he's not going there. But I also think we're never too old or too mature, too whatever, too Christian, to be completely rid of those things. I think it might always come back to just a check. Check in again, see if it can get a foothold, right? This is an example of what I'm talking about. Something we were born into through through no fault of his own. He has a proclivity toward alcoholism, but he's always been stronger than it. Not through his own strength, through Jesus's, right? It wasn't around it. It was around him. He didn't isolate himself or stay away from friends or family because of it. He just resisted temptation. This is in the world, but not of the world behavior. In the world, but not of it. Jesus was at the parties. He went to sinners' houses. Pharisees wouldn't darken the door, right? They judged him hard. They were angry at him for this. Jesus didn't avoid those places. He went to them. Because that's, he described it as, that's where the sick were, and he was the hospital. (laughs) He took it to them, right? In the world, but not of it. A lot of us Christians, we stay away. We are not in the world because we don't want to be of it. The world doesn't have to get on you. This is why you put on your armor. So you can go into those places and come out and it's not on you. Aaron still loved our friends growing up that were involved in the whole party scene. He loved them. He ministered to them. He, you know, worked through stuff with them, but he never got it on him. And I made it clear he wasn't judging them. He just wasn't participating. This is how we are in the world and not of it. This is how we instruct our bodies. They don't instruct us. Amen? That was a long description for verse one. (laughs) I get to number two. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's from the inside out. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Old ideas, opinions, and worldviews must be replaced. We must allow God's truth to continually wash away the world's filth and lies and confusion from our minds and adopt God's perspective. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, meaning if it's not found in the Bible, it's not for you. Doesn't mean you have to isolate yourself but you don't participate with it. What we do with our bodies and our minds matters to God. Some of you, some of us, are out here avoiding conflict or confrontation like it's the plague. I know because I used to be this person, okay? Not judging any of you. I've had to tell so many people during the series, and I wasn't talking about you. Promise. (laughs) I used to be this person, okay? The world gossips. The church shouldn't. The world lets fear of conflict control them. The church shouldn't. Some of us are out here letting fear and worry control everything. We're ruled by it. The world worries about the future and needs to control everything. The church shouldn't have to. My parents drilled this concept into my head growing up that we are on God's economy, not the world's. Right? There may be bad things coming. There's all kinds of revelation prophecies and all these things. I'm on God's economy. 
right? If I'm tithing, right? If I'm giving over and above, if I'm trying to worship God with everything that I have, not just everything I am or do, but everything that I have, if I'm worshiping him wholeheartedly, I'm, I'm on his dime. He can cover it, <laughs> right? I don't have to worry about it because I cast my cares on the Lord. He's renewing my mind daily. I'm going to let him take care of it. Some of us are out here going back to these old behaviors, not godly behaviors, because they are easy and familiar and you don't know what else to do. The world does that. The world uses crystals and sage and Eastern meditation to ward off evil spirits. Believers don't have to. All these things can be helped by renewing your mind and filling it with the word, not just mindlessly, right, putting the word on before you're falling asleep, but going to the word for answers. And we have questions that pop up in life. Well, what does the Bible say? A lot of us Christians, we just let them be questions. I just have these, I've had this question for years. People tell me, I'm like, why? Years? Ask it. I could have answered, helped you find an answer years ago. Don't let your questions stay questions. Ask them. There are answers to be had. I can help you find them, but find them. God can transform us into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Lots of us want to know God's will for our lives, but it's something you must learn to know. Learn to know. Right? Change the way you think first by allowing him to renew your mind. Personally, I think this is because the truths are so deep and life-changing, you just can't fit them into an old way of thinking. Like Jesus described this as wineskins. Do you remember this concept? You, can, you can't put new wine into old wineskins, he said. Well, what does that mean? We don't use wineskins anymore, right? But the idea is that wine expands as it ferments, and they would store wine in these wineskins that would expand along with the wine as it fermented. But if you have an old one that's already reached its max capacity, you can't pour new wine in there that will ferment because it will break and you'll waste all your new wine, right? It'll all be lost. A lot of us are out here trying to pour new principles that we learn in church into our old lifestyle. It's not going to work. We allow God to transform us from the inside out not the outside in. He changes our behavior by changing our thinking. Only Jesus can do that, by the way. 2 Corinthians 3 says, We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can only be removed by believing in Jesus. Can only be removed by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Jesus, the gospel message, unlocks things in your mind. It it helps you understand deep truths. This is why without Jesus, religion gets weird wasn't meant to be without Jesus. 
he unlocks things in the mind. Most spiritual warfare starts in the mind. Remember, last week we looked at four examples of spiritual attack from Satan himself. Three of them were mental attacks. Most of it starts in your mind. I think as Christians, we often say that physical things happen in life, that they're attacks from Satan. Like, it's easy to say that sickness is an attack from Satan, or like, your tire going flat on the way to church must be an attack from Satan. But it's much more common that we see mental attacks than physical ones. They both exist, but one is way more common, because the way that we think affects so much. So much. Which brings me to number two, how we are putting on our helmet of faith, reject doubts. We reject doubts that arise from circumstances. This is part of where that holy rebellion has to come up within you, right? You're feeling a doubt. You bring it up within you. The the Holy Spirit should put a foot down. (laughs) Say, no, we're not doing this. Human beings are sensory creatures. What we cannot fathom with our five senses, we tend to disregard, right? If we allow them to, circumstances may convince us that God doesn't really love us or that his word isn't, isn't really true, override your doubts with faith. We over, people like to say doubt and faith can't exist together. I think that's making it a little too simple. And then we beat ourselves up if we still have doubts when we are supposed to have faith, right? I think doubt can still be there, but you don't let it control you. You override doubt with your knowledge of salvation, right? Your head knows that you've been saved by grace through faith, right? We know that verse. You've been saved by grace through faith. Your head knows that Jesus died on a cross as a living sacrifice to cover your sin. Sometimes my heart forgets that. Right? My body forgets. I have doubts of fear clouds things. But your head can instruct the rest. The knowledge of salvation can override any feelings. Of, of guilt or shame that you have. And God rewards that faith with the helmet of salvation firmly in place. We can choose to believe what appears to be impossible. First, I'm throwing so many verses at you today. Are you keeping up? First Peter 1, verse 8 says, You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. You love him even though you haven't seen him. That's faith. This is why we hand out the 40 IMs, by the way. Right? This is why we encourage each other. If you need the 40 IMs, they're in last week's sermon notes. But this is why we we instruct our souls as believers. We we choose to believe the impossible. It's a choice. I place my faith in that which I cannot see. When I'm doubting or I find myself limiting God, I remind myself. I go back to those 40 IMs and say, I am a child of God. I am redeemed from the hand of the enemy, right? I quote them to myself and I remind myself who I am in Christ. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think infinitely more than I might think of. God, please replace my thoughts. I'm limiting you just by in my thinking. I need his ways that are so much higher than mine. His thoughts 
are so much higher than mine. I can actually now hear myself limiting God in my prayers. I do it all the time. God, if you could just, bare minimum, that's all I need. If you can just cover this bill for me, just this bill. No, come on. I'm limiting him, right? God called me to live in abundance. You are my provider. You know this bill needs covered, and I'm just trusting you to work it out. Maybe there's more he wants to bless me with. And I'm asking him to just, would you please do the bare minimum? I'm not going to limit you, God. You know my needs. I trust you, right? You're a... the provider, the deliverer, the comforter, like I have to remind myself who he is. So much bigger than my little problems. He can cover it, no problem. What did? Where did Jesus go when he needed taxes to be paid? Do you remember? He pulled a fish out of the darn water and <laughs> pulled a coin out of his mouth. Like, what? It's so down to earth and yet so supernatural at the same like ha, that fish you pulled that fish uh, the the one that just happened to have a coin like god is so good he has money just lying around in fish's mouths apparently I can pay my bills no problem why am i limiting him like, these things that they may not have worked themselves down into my belief system yet into my faith, but if I can keep them in my mind, right? If I keep them in front of me, I'm reminding myself to place my faith. I am choosing to believe God over my circumstances, putting on the helmet of salvation to protect myself against doubt and fear controlling me. To make this personal, for example, right now, on my, I have like an extra computer screen at home. I have written, when I am weak, he is strong. A verse I've known all my life, but I think Latina actually gave me this word like the first week of this series um, because I'm 27 weeks pregnant today. I'm feeling pregnancy just makes you feel so vulnerable. <laughs> I don't like not feeling in control, like 100% in control all the time when I'm supposed to be the one in control. You know what I mean? Don't like it. And my mind is everywhere right now. Like I'm struggling to focus lately because of it. I'm just not feeling up to leading a church some days. Can I be honest with you? But If God has called, if God is teaching me anything this sabbatical year, it's that I'm not always in control anyway. Like, what kind of, what control did I think I had (laughs) to begin with? Like, He is in control, and He has called me both to be a mother for the third time and to pastor this church alongside my husband. And so I'm gonna believe that that's, He's got this. That in this season, I'm not only going to survive, but we're all going to thrive. Amen? Because when I am weak, he is strong. I need that as a reminder. When I sit down to work and I'm not feeling it, right? When I let the doubts in, I can't do this, God. He can. He can. So I'm not leaning on my own strength anyway. But that's dumb. I don't have much of it to begin with. I'm going to lean on his strength. The doubts can be this source of open doors. Someone asked about open doors in the Q&A questions too. What is an open door? What are some examples? Open doors happen in the mind all the time. 
Oh, what I mean by that is essentially we give the enemy a wide open door into our mind, our soul, our body when we're not obedient to God. Right? Sin is an obvious open door. It's, you know, like you, you shut down your house at night before you go to bed, right? Lock the doors, shut the windows, maybe arm the alarm system or whatever. You make sure the cameras are working. Whatever you do at night, your routine before you go to bed, you shut down the house to prevent intruders from coming in while you're sleeping, protect your house. What would happen if you left your front door wide open at night? Maybe nothing. <laughs> maybe you live in a good neighborhood, I don't know. But maybe something major, something serious could happen, right? Maybe something or someone with bad intentions would be allowed into your house and it would be kind of your fault for leaving that door wide open. We do this spiritually. We leave doors open. Sin is an obvious open door. When you aren't fully and totally trusting God, you leave yourself open to attack. Any kind of sin can do this, but there's big, obvious ones. Unforgiveness is huge. It's huge because it's it's an acknowledgement of uh, the fact that you don't fully trust that God has forgiven you. If you actually believe that Jesus forgave everything, how can you possibly still hold something over somebody else? This is God renewing our thinking to understand that forgiveness isn't about me. It's not about them. It's about what God did for me. It was a gift for me. Why can't I give it to somebody else? Bitterness. Huge. Open door. You're holding on to things. You're you can almost see it on people. And they've held on to bitterness for so long. It's, it's, it's almost a physical attribute. You can see it on them. Sexual immorality is a big one. Selfishness works its way into all kinds of different things. Pride. <laughs> Going to the occult or, or other religions, Eastern religions, for your information on the spiritual realm or for your protection. It really all boils down to placing your faith in anything other than God. When I let worry in, when I let a little bit of doubt in, I'm open to attack and much more likely to compromise my beliefs. In tithing, for example, if I'm worried about money, I'm much more likely to say, well, just, just one week. If we don't tithe this week, we'll have money for this bill or that or whatever but if I had my helmet of salvation firmly on I would say no I'm going to be obedient to the Lord he saved me my life doesn't belong to me belongs to him he bought me with the price paid on the cross that is the salvation message my life is not my own anymore it's his bought and paid for but what am I doing making my own decisions he said to tithe I'm going to tithe I'm going to trust him for the rest. Let my bills be his problem, because my life is. God, I trust you to make a way where there is no way. It's what you do, right? I'm going to keep an eternal perspective, which is number three, by the way. When life crashes in around us, we must remember to look up. Our salvation is our most precious gift from our Heavenly Father. Keeping our eyes on that 
in life storms is our objective, our, our hardest objective maybe in this life. Because we can choose to live our lives, Pastor Marv used to say, in light of eternity, does this matter? In light of eternity, does this matter? And I hear this thought come up in my thinking so often. Because a lot of things do actually matter for eternity. I mean, this series has been, we've talked about so many things that matter for eternity in this series. And I used to think of it in terms of the opposite way. In light of eternity, does it matter that somebody cut me off in the street? No. In light of eternity, does it matter that somebody gave me a dirty look, right? No. So let things go. I think that's how Pastor Marv always meant it when he said it. But some things do matter. What matters for eternity? Right? Things that build my faith matter for eternity because if I lose my faith where am I for eternity right so attending church we place priority on that it matters for eternity how I treat my children matters for eternity right the fact that they forgot their water bottle on the way out the door this morning probably doesn't matter for eternity but how I treat them when they do it will right the game you're playing on your phone the Netflix that you're binging, however you're entertaining your mind, probably not going to matter for eternity. <clears throat> not saying we shouldn't entertain ourselves. Fun feeds the soul, okay? Don't go too hard in that direction either. Laughter feeds the soul. We need more of it in our lives sometimes. But when you put too much stock there, too much time and energy there, becomes something that matters. Your time, what you spend your, your thoughts on, it matters. And some of us are using these things as an escape or as a, a crutch. We use mind fillers. Instead of keeping our helmet of salvation on, we fill our minds with all kinds of junk. We fill our minds with things that will help us escape. As some of us need to escape the heartache, the, the pain, the grief, the loss. We do that with entertainment. We do that with drinking. We do it with all kinds of different things. Some of us just sleep too much. We do it. <laughs> Enneagram nines, person, some personality types. We sleep too much and we, we escape things with it. Or we never let ourselves be alone, filling our minds with other people because alone time is thinking time. Listen, we have to keep the helmet of salvation firmly on our heads and remember who we are. We are eternal beings that are meant to live forever in God's kingdom. Right? Don't let the here and now cloud that. Matthew 6 says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. What treasures can be stored up in heaven? Can you take your mansion with you? Your Corvette? Your fancy car? Can you? Can you? Can you take anything? What, what's the only thing you can take to heaven with you? People. You can take people to heaven with you. The Bible does talk about crowns and, and jewels in heaven. My mom used to 
like to dream with us sometimes about what ours would look like when we got there. I tend to think they're a little bit more metaphorical. Uh, crown of righteousness, the Bible talks about a crown of life, a crown of righteousness, crown of glory, things like that, and jewels on those crowns. But in general, it's how we care for people and worship God that determines those rewards. That's what we store up in heaven. People you can take to heaven with you. In fact, there's it's something burning in my soul right now. I think it's going to be an upcoming series because we've been focusing most of this series on us. Right? Spiritual warfare that's going on within us. But the world outside these walls needs us too. They're dying in darkness and we have the solution. What is the point of only gathering in here and talking about Jesus? They need him out there. We're meant to take this with us. My treasure is my people. The treasure I store up in heaven is people. What matters for eternity? Number four, remember that victory is already accomplished. We are dead to sin, Romans 6 tells us. We eliminate opportunities Satan uses to entrap us by dying to ourselves and our selfish nature. Choosing Jesus over that. Victory has already been accomplished. Jesus did that on the cross. All we have to do now is claim that victory. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Victory is already accomplished. This is why Jesus didn't see Peter's denial of him as a failure. Remember we talked about last week. He had conquered even that. Jesus came for Peter on that beach and called him back into repentance and ministry. Peter was already a new creature by relief believing in the Messiah. He just had to remember that. Remembering is the hardest part of being a Christian. I'm convinced. It's, it's one of the hardest parts of living in this life, in this world as it is right now. Christians need to be reminded way more often than they need to be taught. You need to remember who you are. Remember who God is. Remember what Jesus has already done on the cross for you. Even when your flesh is screaming at you, there are so many things that it craves that it shouldn't have on a day, on a minute to minute basis. Right? So many things. There's so many distractions and storms and crises that crop up and so suddenly and they can knock you off course. We wage war in our minds by remembering who he is. When we have our helmet of salvation on, we remember that Jesus died on that cross for us. That he is way more powerful than anything out there that wants to come at me. Number five, we find all our hope in him. All our hope. Don't stake any of your hope in other things. All of it. And we've talked about this a lot in the series, but all of it comes back to Jesus. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom am I in heaven but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. We sing this song in church sometimes called All I Need Is You. Right? We sing it together. 
Do we actually believe? Can you actually picture yourself only having Jesus? <sighs> I think we sing it, but we don't believe it. Our hope is staked in so many other things. And our helmet is most effective when we treasure what it truly represents. The salvation Jesus purchased for us cannot share the place of importance in our hearts with earthly things. When pleasing the Lord is our supreme delight, our only, the only thing we crave in this world, we eliminate Satan's lures and render his evil powerless. We love to quote the Bible when it says, God will give us the desires of our heart. But we often forget the first part of that verse. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord. And when you're actively taking delight in the Lord, your heart's desires change. And as we wear the helmet of salvation every day, our minds become more and more insulated against the suggestions, the desires, the traps of the enemy. We choose to guard our minds from excessive worldly influence and think instead on things that honor Christ. Philippians 4.8 Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable and right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. That's the helmet of salvation. Think on godly things, and he will protect us. Don't compromise and stake your hope in anyone else. Jesus is all you need. We have to put on our helmets of salvation, capture any thoughts that aren't obedient, and remember that we are saved by Jesus who loves us so much. Amen? Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you for giving us Ephesians 6 to guide us and direct us. Thank you for showing us how each and every one of these pieces of armor are put on. God, today I pray that we would suit up we would leave here today ready to go out into the world, protected, ready to, to see the people in our sphere of influence and in our workplaces and our schools, people that we come into contact with every single day, that you would give us opportunities to minister to them, to be in their lives, in the world, but not of it. Protect our minds. Guide our thoughts. Help us keep that helmet of salvation on at all times. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this word. First and foremost, maybe you've never chosen Jesus, applied his blood, his sacrifice in your life. It's never been easier in history to have a relationship with your heavenly father, to have all of your, your selfishness, your pride, your sin forgiven. And to just talk to your father, your heavenly father, like a father, like a friend. Jesus made all of that possible, paid the price 
for all of it. That today, all we have to do is call on his name. Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Help me live your way. That's really the salvation message. Putting the helmet of salvation on is claiming that gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ in your life is that God is real, God is good, and he loves you so much. And he sent his son. That's you today, and you're saying, I'm, I'm in for all of that. I'm in to following Jesus. I'm in for his forgiveness in my life. I believe in him, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. Would you just raise your hand if you're here in the room? That's me. I'm in. I want Jesus and everything he offers. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments. Is there anybody in here like that today? Just raise your hand up high and Astra will just give you a small card to help you with that decision. Thank you. Maybe you're here today saying, I've been saved a long time, but I haven't put my helmet on in a while. <laughs> I haven't remembered who I am in Christ. I've been letting all these other worries, fears, all these other things control me, my thoughts. Today, I just need to get a hold of it. All right, by raising your hand to this one, you're saying, I'm giving God control of my thoughts. I'm going to take control. I'm going to put the word into my mind. I'm going to put on my helmet of salvation. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand here in the room? I need to take control with God's help. Put on my helmet of salvation. Father, thank you for every hand raised right now. Thank you that you are already pouring your love into their hearts and minds. Pour your grace in God, that we would be people that think on good things, that renew our minds, that capture any rebellious thoughts, that we would place our faith and instruct our hearts and our minds, and that we would go out from here today loving people, treasuring what you treasure. God, help us suit up, putting on the full armor of God going out into this world ready and prepared for what you've called us to. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Yes, please give Pastor Candace applause. Do you notice everything that she's been saying these last number of Sundays? Are they passive? No. It's action. It's fighting. Last week, we did a little exercise, sword up. I want to make sure that you don't think, or someone's here thinking that I said it once, and it still didn't change. A couple months ago, despair was just knocking at my door. It was just heavy. It was so powerful. And I grabbed a hold of the Word, a couple of scriptures, and I had to say them for almost an hour, two hours, over and over and over and over so that despair left. So in this battle, the helm of salvation, the sword of spirit, the shield of faith, the breastplate, shot at your feet, peace, all of it is active. You need to take that battle stance and fight. Okay?
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 